Um, and so this is really our last meeting this year. And uh, I was considering what to speak about. And it seems like the spirit of the time is about celebrating the blessings of life and change and the end of 2023 and the potential or the possibility of what's new, of what's coming in 2024. And that same theme or thread is in all the, at least in what I was reading um, as I was researching the talk today, is in all the different traditions. It's, it's expressed in all the different traditions in terms of solstice or Christmas or Kwanzaa or Hanukkah. It's all about the light into the dark and the end, the death, and then resurrection or awakening of the light. And I didn't know so much about solstice, but I've learned uh, quite a bit in the last few days about winter solstice because it's a reversal of the sun's apparent ebbing in the sky. And in ancient times, from meaning our ancestors would see this as a symbolic death and rebirth of the sun. Or for some of them, it was of the sun god. So it, all, it had a holy or spiritual component to it. And really winter solstice is celebrated around the world for thousands of years in different cultures. And I was reading a little bit about the different cultures. The Hopi Native American peoples have a festival called Soya. And the Polish people had a, have a celebration of Gudi, which means generous feast is what is how they celebrate. And Greece has a Brumilia celebration. And there's also a Hindu celebration of Makar Sankarati. And, and I'm just naming them all because it's part of the diversity of this kind of solstice ceremony around the world, which really includes parades or festivals or spiritual gathering or observances. And this is our version of it tonight here at SFI. This is the, the solstice just happened and the formal solstice, but that, that going from the, the shortest day of the year and the sun becoming less and less meaning, and then the sun starting to reawaken, right? And so the different peoples who celebrate it include the um, um, pagan, it's been uh, celebrated in the pagan communities at Stonehenge, where thousands of people will go to Stonehenge and other Neolithic monuments. And it's part of our spiritual heritage and it's part of the holiday season. And I like the word holiday because it, it's rooted in the holy. Holiday means literally holy day. And Christmas ceremony is celebrating the birth of Jesus is also of that same flavor. And although, although Christmas, meaning mass on Christ's day, that's where the word comes from, Christmas, mass on Christ's day is a pretty recent origin. Uh, the earlier term was the Yule, Y-U-L-E, which was from the German or Anglo-Saxon and it returned to the feast 
of the winter solstice. And that's, uh, it's understood by some people, that's part of the configuration of Christmas being at this time. And in, in other languages, the same festival of Christ's birth, Christmas, um, um, is uh, Navidad in Spanish or Noel in French. They all denote uh, nativity or birth. And it's all about birth. And in German, there's a word, I don't think I can say it quite right, um, which um, uh, denotes hallowed night or holy night. And the modern Christmas, the way we celebrate it here in the West, is pretty much a, as a secular family holiday, is really a, a, big, a 20th century thing. You know, it was developed in the 20th century. And there was an understanding that the, um, the December 25th was a kind of Christianizing of the um, Dies Solis Invicti Nate, or the day of the birth of the unconquered sun. This is from the Roman Empire. The day of the birth of the unconquered sun, which was celebrating the winter solstice as a symbol of the resurgence of the sun and the casting away of winter and the helding, heralding of rebirth, of the rebirth of spring and summer. And so there's these confluence of holidays or holy days at this time of the year that we're part of. And Kwanzaa is also a, a holiday affirming um, African family and social values that's celebrated from December 26th to the 1st and celebrated here and also in many uh, other countries, Caribbean countries, countries with African descendants. And it's a different kind of holiday. It's non-political, non-religious. And it's not considered a substitute for Christmas, but it's really modeled after the harvest or first fruit celebrations in ancient Egypt. Um, and or in West Africa, they have a new yam festival. I love that name, New Yam Festival. I'm going to a New Yam Festival. Yam, yeah, I like yam, so it works for me. Um, <clears throat> and, and there's other celebrations that are similar in, in Africa. And uh, Janine Bell, who was the president or the artistic director of the Alegba Folklore Society in Virginia, she said, she said, it's an absolute time of free thinking and openness, a sense of spirit that is centered, being grounded and at once elevated. And it's a beautiful understanding of a kind of being grounded and yet not bound to the ground, grounded and open, grounded and spacious, grounded and centered and aware. And Kwanzaa is a whole, a longer celebration. It's not just one day or night like Christmas. Um, it's it's uh, got seven days of celebration of different principles that come from the African tradition, like unity or a certain kind of self-determination, being present and being real, 
or having collective responsibility, which is more how we think in Buddhism of the precepts of how we live our lives in a responsible and aware way and different kind of uh, uh, cooperative uh, um, endeavors. And there's a, a purpose is one of the principles of Kwanzaa and creativity. The word that is used is, is kumba, which is really like the bodhisattva vow, the creativity or kumba in, in, the, um, um, in this tradition has to do with um, always doing as much as we can in whatever way we can in order to leave our community more beautiful and beneficial than we inherited it. And that's really right in line with, in Buddhism, what's called the Bodhisattva Bao, to awaken, but awaken for the benefit of all beings, the benefit of all beings now and forever. And then the last one, the last principle is the Imani, or faith. And I like that personally, because we have close friends whose daughter's name is Imani, who we we love and is, is friends with our daughter. So, but it's really about the faith in the Dharma that we point to in Buddhism. And so our human lineage includes all of these traditions. And that's a beautiful part of this season is recognizing what's been given to us from both our um, individual and our collective ancestors of the human race. And part of that understanding, part of the way I understand this, that humans understand something about the mystery and the divinity and the wonder and the sacredness of life itself, right? And, and life itself means we're aware of the mystery of being and being alive and being conscious and aware. And so the different forces and the power of nature like the solstice and the changing of the of the light allow us to perceive perceive the numinous or the mysterious nature of reality itself and it's beautiful when we understand nature and we relax with nature it's one of the ways one of my teachers likes to teach uh, he always points to nature. When you recognize things as nature, you start to free yourself from being identified with them. You just see thoughts are nature, feelings are nature, sound, smells, taste, touch. It's all nature. It's nature doing itself. And so to reflect on the new year that is now coming is to include the holidays or holy days. And as you, many of you know, I like to look up words and holy from the Oxford English Dictionary means dedicated to God or for religious purpose or to become hallowed or sacred or becoming completely whole or holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. And it's a beautiful understanding of what spirituality is about. It's about becoming holy, becoming ourselves fully, not getting, not letting the layers of reality that are difficult 
obscure the depth of reality that is sitting here in your seat. In the Hebrew, the word holy is uh, kiddushah, and it's paradoxical because it means a separation from and a dedication to something. It means you feel your disconnection and you feel your dedication to what you care about. Like, like Paul said earlier, he said, I often like to say, what does your heart love? But what does your heart care about the most? Because that's what we want to dedicate ourselves to. And so the holiness that's described as Kiddushah is the attitude or state of mind in which certain activities and thoughts are let go of to come closer to God. And really, all of the spiritual traditions, whether it's Christian or Islamic or Jewish or Hindu or, or, you know, or indigenous traditions, it's all about touching the divine. It's all about coming closer to God or Buddhism. It's all about becoming devout in a way that reveals the transcendent that is inherently right here that is in with us, within us as human beings. And so it's about becoming spiritually holy or spiritually whole, W-H-O-L-E, and kind of refining the, the, the innocence of our virtue by a certain kind of impeccability of devoting ourselves to what our heart loves and cares about. And I just want to remind you, I'll take some time for questions or comments later. Please remember, if you have any questions or reactions, liking or disliking anything I'm saying tonight, because it really allows the Dharma to come alive in the whole room. And so part of the holy is related to or belongs to or associated with the sacred. Right? And the sacred is set apart in religious ceremony. In a sense, we make things holy by creating a sacred time or place or day or service. And in the West, it's one of the ways we ascribe holiness with holidays or holy places or saints or, or Sabbath. And the seventh day is considered the Sabbath in the Christian and Judeo, Juda, Judaism. Islam doesn't have a Sabbath in the same way. They have a day of prayer, but it's not thought of exactly the same. But the, here's from, uh, I think it's, um, I think his name is Abraham Heschel. He said, the seventh day is a palace in time, which we build. The seventh day is a palace in time which we build. It is made of soul, of joy, and of reticence. It, and it's beautiful what he's saying, because he's describing like to go do a day long of retreat. That's what it is. We're building a palace in time, which we build by our practice, by sitting. It's made of our consciousness and of our awareness and of our not just doing whatever we want, but staying present moment by moment by moment and being aware. And he said in its atmosphere, a disciple, 
a discipline is a re discipline is a reminder of the uh, agency to is of an agency to eternity of the agency to eternity meaning there's a connection to eternity that starts to express itself in that kind of simplicity of a sabbath and traditionally on the sabbath you don't do anything it's a day for you to be with god or be with whatever is holy in your world and the splendor of the day, he goes on to say, is expressed in terms of abstentations, meaning just as the mystery of God is more adequately conveyed via negativa in the categories of negative theology, which claim that we can never say what God is, we can only say what God is not. And what that means is, there's a, a, in theology, via negative, via negativa, is a way of describing something by saying what it is not, right? It's called, sometimes called the negative way of speaking of God, right? And that God or the divine or the holy is so beyond all human comprehension that it's only able to describe what it is not. And actually, Buddhism has its own version of this. The early teachings of Buddhism point to freedom through the negative. Awakening, what we call awakening, is often called the unconditioned. The unconditioned. Or, or the unborn. Or the not made. Or the uncompounded. Right? The, in the early Buddhism always described awakening by what it was not. Or the, the other way they described it, it was by the absence of greed, hate, and delusion. And not by what happened when that absence was here, but that that was absent and it's a condition for awakening. <clears throat> and so it's celebrating the present moment and the awakening of the present moment, not by describing what's here, but by being with what's here as we stop doing what we usually do, as we let go, as we, as we simply be. And that's again described by this fellow Herschel um, uh, in terms of the Sabbath or the day of rest or the day of not doing. The meaning of Sabbath is to celebrate time rather than space. On the Sabbath, we try to become attuned to holiness in time. We are called upon to share in what is eternal in time to turn from the results of creation to the mystery of creation, from the world of creation to the creation of the world, which is really just the magic of the universe that brings us here, that we are that we are an expression of that magic of creation, of that wonder of creation, of the mystery of creation. And so I thought we might reflect for a few moments about 2023 and what it was or wasn't for each of us, right? Was last year holy or unholy? Was it difficult or challenging? or fun, or mysterious, or surprising, or opening, or grief-filled, because it could have been any or all of those. 
and there's much that we've all lose when a year leaves. We lose the good and the bad. We lose what we cared about and what we don't. It's gone, whatever happened, the actual experience. And 2023 is a difficult word, uh, excuse me, a difficult year in many ways. I looked up the wars of 2023, and of course the main two, at least right now, that I was aware of were the war in the Ukraine and the war uh, in Gaza uh, between Israel and Hamas. And then I discovered there are so many different armed conflicts, both international and non-international, what's called non-international armed conflicts. And I could just read you a little, I have like, 30, 30 different conflicts that are going on around the world, whether it's in Cyprus or Egypt or Iraq. And some of them are, are between two countries and some of them are within the country itself, right? Or Libya, or Morocco, or Israel and Palestine and Syria, Turkey, Yemen, West Sahara, in Burkina Faso, Cameroon, Central African Republic, Ethiopia, Mali, Mozambique, Nigeria, Somalia, South Sudan, Sudan, Afghanistan, India, Myanmar, Pakistan, the Philippines, India, Pac I said India and Pakistan, and on and on. I mean, there's just a, there's a lot of dukkha in the world and it's part of our world. And so the question comes, how do we find peace in 2024? And my answer to you is don't wait till 2024. Start to find peace here now. Start to find peace here now. We can't fix the world. We can help and there's much we can do, but we can't fix it right now. But peace is available within us each here now. And it's part of that turn towards the light that we are, the, the light that lights up human consciousness. Desmond Tutu, the wonderful um, um, cleric from South Africa. He said, hope is being able to see there is light despite all the darkness. And that's part of our practice, even in the midst of all the wars and all the difficulty and all the grief of, of the world, but seeing that there is life despite all the darkness. And it really means abiding in the Dharma and discovering the depth of who and what we are, the depth of consciousness that is here. And so practice is finding our center here. My teacher, uh, Sayadaw Uteshaniya, he said, whenever you are upset, look within. There's nothing and nobody outside there you can blame for your state of mind. And really, I would change it to your state of mind and heart. People can affect us, but our freedom is here, is possible here with practice. And it does mean being diligent about practice, about giving yourself to that which is freeing, that which is liberating. There's a famous Japanese haiku from Masahida, 
who said barns burnt down. Now I can see the moon. Anyway, I should stop there. That's the best. Barns burnt down. Now I can see the moon. And he's describing what happens even as we learn lose what we care about in love. There's some there's something else here that nothing can touch, actually. There's a resilience or a simplicity or what we call the ordinary magic. Pablo Neruda said it about the changing of the seasons. He said, you can pick all the flowers, but you can't stop the spring. Right? Just can't do it. And so learning about our world more fully and the goodness of people is very helpful. And I often describe some of them, I like to make it personal. So I'll tell you one of the, two of the things that have really helped me this year. One is I started swimming in the bay again, which is a really like great thing to do if you're a San Franciscan, because you have all this water here. And it's what defines San Francisco is the bay and the ocean. And you can swim in the bay and it's, uh, it's, it's almost, you know, you don't, you don't even have to pay. It's helpful if you join a club and even the clubs are pretty inexpensive these days. They're public clubs at Aquatic Park. So I'm a member of the South End Rowing Club. And I just, and I find the South End so inspiring. So the South End's been going for 150 years. So just that, there have been people, and it's the South End Rowing Club. It's, it's people who swim and row and also play handball on the, at the bay. And they've been doing it 150 years. People, our ancestors 150 years ago were swimming in the bay and now I'm there with a lot of other people. It's actually a little crowded these days, not in the water, but sometimes in the club but but and the support there is so beautiful because everybody is supportive of everybody because everybody knows especially right now it's getting colder today was cold i attest to it, it was cold i got cold it was like i did my swim i did a half an hour it's like okay i'm good no wetsuit so you know somebody came in i said yeah i did a half hour and he said, you don't wear a wetsuit, do you? I said, no. He said, oh, well, I'm, I'm guilty. I wear a wetsuit. I, you can't even count me. But it's even the people who wear the wetsuits, great. If you want to wear a wetsuit, wetsuit, it's still cold. And, and it's a beautiful love of nature and where we are. And the other reason that I mention it is because sometimes doing anything outdoors can be a pure meditation. So for swimming in the bay, I get to watch my heart and mind as I'm thinking about going, as I'm getting there, definitely watching my heart and mind as I first walk into the water and it's cold, and then watch what happens as I put my whole body in the cold water. And then it's like, oh yeah, this is cold. And then watching it relax watching my reaction relax and it's still cold and it doesn't mean I like it but what I'm aware of is the totality of being aware in that moment and that's very inspiring to me and so there's 
a kind of meditative practice that can be done with any physical activity, any physical activity. And then one of the things that has also personally inspired me this year is a different kind of people who who are uh, display their good heart, their goodness, and their humanness and their beauty, and and um, and one of them that I would like to mention is Vince Montague, who I read a book by him called Crackpot, which is about the death of his wife, whose car accidentally went into a lake and she drowned, and he was just broken up broken totally broken by it and then described how he survived learning about freedom through the grief not by denying it but by going through it by living with it and really changing how he related to his life because of his wife's death very beautiful book it's called cracked pot it's called cracked pot because she was a potter and he took up potting to be close to her after she died. And he becomes very into potting. And it's just short little beautiful one and two page pair, uh, chapters that are very moving about the whole world of grief and loss and creativity and life, birth and death. <clears throat> In the Talmud, they say, do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now, love mercy now, walk humbly now, right? Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. You are not obliged, obliged to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. And it's pointing in the Talmud, it's pointing at the work of taking care of the world. Now, first, taking care of ourselves, that's an important part of taking care of the world. And then also expanding that in a bodhisattva way to take care of the whole world. And that often brings up the kind of intention that I like to take from for 2024, which comes from the bodhisattva vow. And the Bodhisattva vow goes, beings are numberless, I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to become it. And you hear the beautiful paradox in it. It's impossible to do but we set our intention and then it starts to do us. Beings are numberless, I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to become it. It's, it's really about becoming who, what we really and truly and, and essentially are, right? And it's so simple sometimes, the holy in Buddhism. Suzuki Roshi said, just to be alive is enough. Just to be alive is enough. Mm. 
So I'll end with something from Martha Graham, the great American dancer. She said, there is a vitality, a life force, an energy, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And because there is only one you in all of time, because there is only one you in all of time, this expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and be lost. The world will not have it. It is not your business to determine how good your life force is, it, nor how valuable, nor how it compares with other expressions. And she's saying, let go of the judging mind and the comparing mind. It, 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 is, uh, it is your business to keep it yours clearly and directly and to keep the channel open which is what practice is about. It is your business to keep the channel open, whether you choose to take an art class, keep a journal, record your dreams, dance your story, or live each day from your creative source. Above all else, keep the channel open. Keep the beauty of human consciousness alive that is sitting right here in your seat, wherever you are. So those are some of my thoughts about saying goodbye to 2023 and saying hello to 2024. Yeah, and just, um, you know, and I'm just glad to see you all and be here with you all. And I want to thank you all and, and uh, send my love to all of you who are here tonight and all of you who aren't here tonight. Right. And so I'll ring the bell. We'll do a little sharing of merit. May the, may the goodness and blessing of our time together go out in every direction, touching beings in, the, in our cities, our states, our countryside, our continent, our world. May all beings be happy and peaceful May all beings be safe and protected. May all be as healthy as possible. May all beings live with ease of well-being. May we all discover our innate beauty, our innate goodness, our innate creativity, our innate love. May all beings awaken. May we awaken together. Thank you, everyone. Please be well. Have a great whatever you do. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.